If you would turn in your scriptures to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work, arise and say to them that I command you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I will make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Heavenly Father, as we come to uh, 
this book that you have given, these prophecies of Jeremiah, we pray that we would reap what has been sown and that we would have uh, wisdom and understanding in our, in our days. So bless the reading of your word to our hearts and the preaching of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many tears have you shed in your whole life so far? Some of you have shed a great many tears. You have suffered much. Some of you are advanced in years. And, and so if every tear was collected that you ever shed, it would fill a large bottle. Some of you are younger, or perhaps you haven't suffered much yet. And the bottle of your tears would be smaller. The psalmist, David, in Psalm 56, in a time of persecution, a time of pain and grief for him, he remembers the Lord and he, and he says, Lord, you have counted my tossings. Every, every time I roll over in bed, he says, you, you, you know how many times I've done that. And then he says, you have put all my tears in your bottle. Every tear that he has shed has been collected by the Lord and is preserved and kept. This is a metaphor. And what he means is that everything matters to God. That everything that we go through and every struggle and every challenge that we have matters to God. That he treasures what we experienced and those things that would cause us to weep he makes note of and he values that that our tears are not wasted he collects them in his bottle it's amazing what some Christians go through it, it's incredible how they endure in faith. Charlene and I have a couple of Christian friends who their teenage children both died. The only, their only two children died at different times in their teens. And yet they endure in faith, trusting the Lord in the midst of it all. How, how, how could you walk those steps? Some of you are familiar with Joni Erickson, the diving accident she had and how, how she was paralyzed from the neck down. And, and she lived out her life in, in faith. I think of Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, they called him, and how he wrestled with depression his whole life in ministry. Deep, deep, deep valleys, deep darkness of depression. And, and then his wife was an invalid. She spent most of their marriage 
in bed uh, for she was sickly. It's amazing what God calls some people to and how much they suffer and what they go through. Jeremiah, his bottle of tears must have been a very big bottle. Sometimes Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because in the book he expresses himself many times in tears. The first three verses tells us of his ministry at the end of Israel just before their uh, exile to Babylon. His ministry there covered from Josiah. Remember, the book of the law was discovered in the temple. Uh, there was great days. Uh, Josiah was a good king, and, and it was hopeful times, and there was going to be repentance and revival, and, and even Jeremiah was, was so hopeful for the people of Israel and Judah, and it all came to nothing. The people would not listen they continued in idolatry. They rejected the Lord. And, and over 40 years, the 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry, he saw the continued degradation and decline of the nation and its eventual exile. Jeremiah's call is given to us in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, he says, say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Notice the purposeful creation that is underlined here. The personal word, I, I, I is repeated. God did this. Jeremiah didn't even exist yet. Before conception, I, I formed you, but I knew you before you were born. I consecrated you. Before I, I formed you, before your, your unseen substance had form and flesh, I knew you. They sort of echo David's words in Psalm 139, don't they? That God has purpose and plans for everything in our life. And in Psalm 139, he says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know, if we're asked, when does life begin? We tend to say life begins at conception. But me, we could well answered differently. We could say life begins before conception. Life begins in the mind and the purpose of God who foreknew us and, and, and who formed us and had plans for us before we were given form and substance in our mother's womb. Before we were called into physical life, we are his book has been written of us. What this means is it, it just underscores how precious each life is, how purposeful God is in creating every single person and how, how planned the events are that unfold in our lives. 
Imagine you go to the heavenly library and you take out a book called the book of, just put your name after it, the book of Alice, the book of Albert, the book of Mary. (laughs) It's a biography. It's written by God about you. It begins in chapter one in the mind of God. Before the earth was made, before the physical world was called into being, it begins there and it's all planned out your days. It continues to the womb of your mother where you are conceived and you're given substance and form and flesh and, and then you are born and then your first steps and first day of school and all those first love and marriage, it continues on with the challenges and the joys and the struggles of life. It's a very long book, and you're hoping it ends with the rapture, aren't you? But most likely, it's going to be our death, and then it doesn't end. Because for those in Christ Jesus, it's in the resurrection and on in eternal life. Paul says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before he created anything. We're already chosen. So a very purposeful creation is underlined here for Jeremiah. And also a purposeful ministry. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, verse 5. He says in verse 9, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. His ministry was to administer the word of God to Judah as a prophet of God. And verse 18 and 19 there tells us they're not going to like it. They will fight against you. They're not going to like it, the word of God. They're not going to appreciate the word of God. They're not going to like the one who delivers the word of God. They're they're, they're not going to think much of this person at all. They're, They're going to try to shut him down. They're going to attack him. But God will be with him. And all of this is telling us that God has done this. God has decided this. God is with him. He says in verse 19, They will not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, Jeremiah gives two excuses. We're good at excuses. He in a sense, says, I am not trained and I am too young. (laughs) Verse 6, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak. I have no training. I'm only a youth. I'm too young. They're just going to laugh at me. But he says, don't say I'm only a youth. To whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't worry about your training. He says, I'm going I'm to put my word in your mouth. Don't be afraid of them. He understands that the root of the excuses that we come up with is the fear of man. He says, don't be afraid of them. I'm with you to deliver you. It's typically fear is at the root of our own hesitations. Our hesitation to share with others, to pray with others, to speak with others, to say the name of Christ and speak of Christ's holiness in these unholy days, the fear of man. He says, don't be afraid of them. I send you and I'm going to accomplish what I intend. When Charlene and I were first converted 
we'd been Christians for only about six months when we were asked to lead a DVBS, which was a daily vacation Bible school, for those who don't know that. We didn't know it. We didn't know what DVBS stood for. And we were asked to lead a youth ministry, to start one up in the little church that we were attending. And we were like, we don't even know what that looks like. Lord, it, it can't be us. I mean, people are just going to laugh at us. What do we know? And the Lord gave us strength and was with us. A symbolic anointing takes place here where the Lord touches his mouth. Verse 9, a typical anointing of the Lord for prophet. I have put my words in your mouth. And then he's given two visions to affirm his calling. The first is this curious one, this almond branch. If you notice in verse 11, what do you see? I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word. What's that got? It's a curious thing to us, but it's because what's happening here is a play on words. The almond branch in Hebrew is exactly the same word for watching in Hebrew. Remember, Hebrew is just a language with consonants. There's no written vowels. Uh, the vowels are different, but they're not written down. They look exactly the same, those two words. It, the context decides which one it is. And so it's a play on words here. And the almond tree, because it looked like watching, uh, was considered to be the watching tree. They called it the awake tree because it was the first tree in the spring that would blossom before all the other trees. So he's saying, and he's using this metaphor and the similarity between watching and almond to say, I'm watching you, Jeremiah. I'm watching the nation. And then the second vision he's given, what do you see? I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose. He's saying it's a boiling cauldron, a hot boiling cauldron of water about to tip over onto Jerusalem and the utter destruction of the nation. God is watching Israel. God is bringing judgment upon Israel. And who likes to bring a message like that? I mean, who wants to bring a message like that? That God is watching and he sees what you're doing. And he sees your unholiness and your rejection of him and your sins. And he is bringing judgment upon you. It is coming. Who wants that sort of person around today? That's why he says in verse 17, don't be dismayed by them. Don't be terrified by them at all. They're not going to like like what you're saying. You see, their citizens were no different than our citizens now. Where they thought they, as I think, our fellow Canadians think they're very, we're, we're very good. 
that God doesn't see, that God doesn't care, that our society is better than other societies, that democracy and rights and social justice and what's not to like and our nation is the good guys, the caring people. We deserve all these blessings. We somehow deserve them more than other countries. And here comes Jeremiah's word to the nation saying, I'm watching and I don't like what I'm seeing. And judgment is coming. Our message to our citizens is not welcome today. It's not pleasant, it's not appealing to people. We, we speak the truth when we say that our nation is made up of idolaters that are depraved in their priorities, degenerate in their sexual perversions, and debased in human sacrifice. And God says, repent. Judgment is coming. Eternal damnation. People will be held to account and people are lost in sin and death and bound for hell unless they repent and put their trust in the Savior, the only one who can save from sins. The one whom God gave, the Messiah, who died on the cross, that we might be forgiven and that we might have eternal life. He would say, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. Jeremiah brings fire. There is repeatedly in the book of Jeremiah the metaphor of God's word being fire, a fire that consumes. He says, I have put my word in your mouth as fire, and I have made the people like wood. Fire is going to come out of your mouth, my word. And the people are wood. It's going to consume them in judgment. Is not my word like fire? We find in the book of Jeremiah, God says that. Is not my word like fire? And Jeremiah, so filled with the word of God, would say, if I try not to speak, I, I can't help it. it. The word of God is like a fire in my bones and I must speak. I must speak. I have to let it out. And he will present this theme throughout the book that the word of God burns, that the word of God brings wrath, the word of God brings judgment upon those who reject the Lord, their creator, the one who made them with purpose, the one who knew them even before they were given 
they were conceived in their mother's womb. That the word of God consumes and brings conviction on some. Some who will say, yes, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Jesus the Christ. We bring that word to a population today who stop their ears, who cover their eyes, who say, do not speak it, do not read it. It consumes them, and our God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. And with this fire comes water. The tears of Jeremiah. Jeremiah weeps, the weeping prophet. Listen to what he says. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my daughter Israel. He said, I, I, I just, I'm full of tears and sorrow. Day and night, all that I might, they might just pour out of my eyes for, the, for their sake because he cared for them. He cared for the nation. He cared for the people he, he preached to. Jeremiah said, if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride and my eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive captive by Satan and so each tear is collected and treasured that Jeremiah, as you'll see, as he ministers the consuming fire of God's word, he does so in such a way that his deep emotions are always evident, that he cared for the people. It just filled him with sorrow that they wouldn't repent. It filled him with a deep grief that they would continue in their idolatries. Fire and water. As we go through this book, in various portions of it, you'll want to remember those two themes. Fire and water. The word of God and weeping for the lost. Christ, the living word, ministered the word of God. It's interesting, in, on the road to Emmaus, when he met those two disciples, and later they were talking together, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us on the road and as he opened to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts were burning And his deep grief and compassion for the people. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the scripture says, Jesus wept. The week before his crucifixion, when he came into Israel and he looked into Jerusalem and he looked over the city, the gospel writer Luke tells us of the deep emotions Jesus had as he looked over Jerusalem as he knew it would be destroyed one day. And he saw the city and he wept over it. He wanted them to come to him like, a, like chicks go for the, the mother hen, but they would not come. Instead, they would crucify him. He wept. There is a great amount of rage out there in our communities and across our country. And there is a great amount of rage even in some Christian hearts and minds. Raging at government, raging at prime ministers, raging at experts, raging at culture in general. Remember when John and James um, Call, they, they, they came up to the Lord and said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Sometimes you want fire to come down and consume. Who would you have it consume? The scripture says he turned to them, Jesus, and he rebuked them. He rebuked them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, we are filled with the fire of God, the Holy Spirit, but it's his fire, not ours. And this is why we're constantly being told in the New Testament that we are to be kind-hearted. We are to be holy and beloved and express humility, meekness and patience. And we must speak the word of God that consumes to a people who don't want the word of God. They won't listen. The people who despise and hate what the word of God says. The people now who think the word of God is even immoral because it doesn't, because it doesn't give them the license to behave in any way they choose. We must speak the word of God that consumes but we are to speak it with love. We are to speak it with kindness. And even sadness and grief for those who reject it. Because we long for them to be saved. 
I mean, everything the word says, it seems like today the culture says the exact opposites of what the word says. And you young people, God bless you. You young people, you teenagers are growing up in this world that are saying all sorts of things are right and appropriate, which are contrary to God's will and ways. And for you to take a stand, it's going to become increasingly more challenging. In our physical world, water and fire can't coexist. This last week, we saw the fire at Fairwinds Lodge, the seniors' residence. It was a big fire, and it burned, and, and it consumed. And there was a great amount of water was put on that fire to put it out, because fire and water don't coexist. It's going to be one or the other. But in the spiritual world, they do coexist. They coexist in us, in Christians. The fire of the word of God in our hearts and in our mouths and the water of tears, the water of sorrow and sadness and grief for those who refuse to repent. What might your excuses be to not speak, to not say, to not tell of Jesus? I hope here that every bottle of tears that belongs to the people at People's Church is a large bottle. that we weep much for our nation, Canada. That we shed many a tear for the lost. And don't be afraid. The Lord says that to Jeremiah. Don't be afraid, don't fear. I mean, they're gonna think they're doing God's work by persecuting us. Some of you may end up getting fired at work because you can't agree to something. Some of you may lose business. Some of you will lose friends. Some of you may get less in your marks at school. The pressure to change our views, the pressure to close up the fire of God is relentless. But fire and water, water and fire will continue with his word and our tears. Would you bow with me in prayer now, Father? We Lord, need your help. Our country that used to consider this a dominion 
over which you ruled now rejects you and follows the idols, the same idols that were followed so long ago. And our people of this nation are confused and morally morally sick. They are deaf to your word, blind to your truth. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit would work across our land and in our own county here in the midst of a people, your people and the people of the church of Christ across this county that you would give us that courage to speak your fire and to do so with such love and gentleness. We pray, Lord, trusting you with the results because it's your work and it's your fire, but it's our tears. And dear God, we all have some who we're especially praying for. A family, sons, daughters, parents, grandkids, Lord, some who are especially constantly on our heart every day. And we can walk under a shadow of a cloud every day of grief and sadness for them as we call out to you to undertake and to to do the work in their life that you did in ours. Would you hear us and would you work for them and for us? Would your fire have its full effect and bring them to repentance and faith in Jesus? We pray that everyone here this morning, Father, would know Jesus as Lord and Savior and that there is only one who is worth following. There is only one who is the Savior of all mankind. There is only one whom you have sent, God, with us, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that each here would have a, a faith that is strong and steadfast and willing to stand, bolster us in courage, give us strength, make us that bronze pillar that we might not bend. Thank you for this time together in your word. And we look forward to the unfolding of Jeremiah in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.